Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news along with an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hi, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering HUD's disparate impact rule. After eight long years, what we can expect from oral arguments as NAMIC challenges its reinstatement. Plus, a mission for change. Atlanta Insurance Coalition for Change President Liz Olson discusses the new nonprofit whose mission is to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts across the insurance industry. But first, NAMIC's years-long challenge to the Department of Housing and Urban Development's broad disparate impact rule will go before D.C. Federal Circuit Court Judge Richard Leon next week. Upon HUD's announcement that it would reinstate the 2013 version of its rule, the judge granted NAMIC's request for oral arguments. For several years, Judge Leon had stayed NAMIC's challenge based upon continued representations by HUD that it was reconsidering the rule, particularly in light of the 2015 U.S. Supreme Court decision requiring limitations and protections in disparate impact litigation. NAMIC General Counsel Tom Carroll says the association is confident in the clarity and accuracy of its legal challenge and that this long-standing threat to NAMIC members will be judicially resolved. It seems incredible that NAMIC has been leading the challenge to HUD's disparate impact rule for almost 10 years now. Although firmly opposed to illegal discrimination in any form, NAMIC saw immediately that HUD's misguided efforts to impose unworkable rules for risk-based business of insurance were not in accordance with the law as well as impractical. Our sincere and sustained efforts to so educate HUD were consistently ignored and NAMIC was forced to engage in federal court challenge since the 2013 rule. HUD has systematically stalled the litigation over the years, repeatedly assuring the federal court that HUD was reconsidering the 2013 disparate impact rule until July 2020, when HUD brazenly issued a rule simply reinstating the 2013 rule. The federal judge in our case promptly ordered a hearing on July 19th on a motion for summary judgment that NAMIC had filed way back in 2015. Purporting to create a level playing field, the 2013 HUD rule, in fact, would require insurers to consider protected class status in pricing and providing homeowner insurance and would enable courts to restructure insurer operations to reduce disparate impact when the court found a practice that even predictably resulted in a disparate impact. The HUD rule would require insurers to consider protected class data would require insurers to ask every existing policy holder and applicant to provide and regularly update class, protected class data, including race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, and national origin, which new insurers do not have or do not use today. The fact that NAMIC will finally have our day in court on this long-awaited hearing on our motion for summary judgment is an important step in our continued challenge to this rule and a tribute to the sustained support of the NAMIC members on this important matter. While we believe the motion, the motion will be granted and the rule stricken, we understand that this fight is likely to continue and you can be assured that NAMIC will carry on its judicial advocacy for our members and their policyholders. NAMIC members, be on the lookout for a special report from Tom Carroll next week where he will share additional information about the July 19th proceedings. Language on auto insurance rates was included in a recently approved version of the federal 2022 fiscal budget. 
The language from the House subcommittee indicates that the committee is aware of concerns regarding the lack of reliable data on disparate pricing practices in the automobile insurance market. Specifically, the language reads, quote, The committee believes that the availability of such data on people of color and those in lower-income communities would be useful to policymakers and researchers. Therefore, the committee directs the Federal Insurance Office to examine the impact of non-driving-relating factors, such as consumers' credit history, home ownership status, census tract, marital status, professional occupation, and educational attainment on the affordability of auto insurance premiums for traditionally underserved communities, end quote. While the association does not anticipate language like this to work its way through the committee, it is troubling because it allocates more authority to FIO on issues that are already supervised by state insurance regulators. NAMIC plans to continue educational efforts to ensure that lawmakers understand the unique regulatory regimes that property casualty insurers navigate, as well as how risk-based pricing works. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is set to appear this week before both the House Financial Services Committee and the Senate Banking Committee to give his semi-annual testimony on monetary policy and the state of the economy. During previous hearings featuring Powell, NAMIC worked successfully to raise the importance of defending the state-based system of insurance regulation from harmful and unworkable international regulatory standards. NAMIC also worked to defend the industry from attacks on business interruption insurance policies. Well, after experiencing deep emotional and psychological pain from witnessing multiple tragedies involving black Americans in 2020, a group of Atlanta insurance professionals came together to translate that pain into positive action. The group they formed, the Atlanta Insurance Coalition for Change, is a first-of-its-kind effort in a major American insurance hub. For Chuck Chamnus's final episode as host of the unscripted segment of our podcast, he sits down with AICC President Liz Olson to talk about how the coalition's work could be employed by NAMIC members. She shares her perspective on how insurers can transform diversity, equity, and inclusion from a worthwhile concept into something that is actionable and sustainable for generations to come. Joining me today on Insurance Unscripted is Elizabeth Olson, Senior Vice President with Aon and now the Founder and President of the Atlanta Insurance Coalition for Change, a new nonprofit whose mission is to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the Atlanta area, as well as with the overall insurance industry. It's truly a pleasure to have you with us today, Liz, and I'm anxious to hear all about the coalition and how it came about. Thanks, Chuck. I really appreciate being invited to speak with you today. I'm very passionate about this subject. Well, great. Let's bring that passion to this discussion. You know, first, you know, you are in the industry. You've spent uh, years with Aon and other insurance groups before that. Can you give us a little sense of your background in the industry? Sure. I um, come from the the time period when people sort of fell by accident into the industry. Um, I'm that old. Uh, so I did not have a risk management degree, but um, uh, just a general marketing degree and found myself working in um, a small broker here in Atlanta 
um, and just kind of kept getting promoted. So I've been on the brokerage side for my entire career and have focused almost exclusively on uh, financial lines, executive liability, directors and officers, um, employment practices, and E&O cyber type of coverage. Great. And then, you know, what we're talking about here, specifically the topic of DE&I, but what led you to the creation of uh, AICC? It was really interesting. A colleague of mine that I um, am working with now and have worked with at prior employers, so I've known him for a very long time, um, reached out to me in mid-June last year um, when Atlanta was experiencing some of the, the worst fallout from the George Floyd murder. And he said he just felt heartbroken and um, needed to do something. You know, he's a little bit older than I am, a white man, grown, you know, grew up in the South. Um, and, and he just felt really compelled to try to do something um, to show his solidarity. And um, initially, we discussed trying to schedule a solidarity walk for our insurance colleagues to really provide just a visible sign of, of the support of white allies in the industry. And obviously COVID um, sort of halted that plan. Um, but I think that the silver lining is it became something much bigger than that. Um, we have spent literally every week for the last year, um, with the exception of a couple of holiday weeks, um, forming a, uh, first it was a steering committee, it's now become a board. We are an official nonprofit in the state of Georgia. Um, and our mission is to create programming and provide resources to people within our industry and within the Atlanta area uh, to help, you know, identify these issues, you know, make them visible, uh, create a safe space to talk about them, and then really try to find ways to improve them. So we have big plans. Um, we don't think small, uh, but we'd like to set up, um, you know, some specific recruiting efforts. And we are going to develop our own podcast. So um, look for that coming soon. Um, we have events, and we'll be hosting speakers and providing resources to people who may not have access to, uh, you know, employee resource groups at their employer. You know, most of the large companies have that, but certainly a lot of the smaller um, insurance brokers and agents and things like that just may not have access to that. So we're hoping to be a place, uh, you know, where people can turn to find more information. Yeah. Well, first, good luck with the podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. And it's a great, easy way to kind of get your message out, post interesting discussions and let people listen to them on their own time. Um, and we've had a great experience with it now for uh, almost three years. So, um, but, you know, as you look at the mission, um, are all of the, I reviewed the board and it wasn't there. I didn't get to uh, check in on the LinkedIn to see where everybody works, but are they all insurance related people? And how does your mission relate to the insurance industry specifically? Everyone is insurance related, but we have a pretty broad spectrum beyond that. So uh, we have people that are on the broker side, uh, myself, uh, and a couple of others. We have people on the carrier side, representation from AIG and Genry. Um, we have people on the personal line side. So, um, you know, it, it was intentionally um, 
put together to encompass a broad spectrum of insurance people. Uh, we'd like to ultimately get some um, representation from risk managers and, and possibly from other groups that are a little more tangential to insurance, but um, law firm colleagues or consultants, um, you know, IT uh, risk management or risk, you know, um, risk consulting groups. So we're, we're open to that. We're keeping it kind of industry related. Um, but beyond that, we want it to be really a place for everyone, not just, um, for example, producers who are, you know, out making contacts with clients. But, you know, if you're in the insurance industry and you're working in operations or you're working in, um, you know, the mailroom or, or, you know, legal or HR or anything like that, we want everyone within the insurance industry to feel welcomed and included in our group. Yeah. Well, what, um, you know, you're a very new organization, but, um, let me ask this question in two parts. A, you know, what kind of um, recognition or support, um, how have you been received by the industry? And two, um, you know, what do you see as the biggest challenge in our industry when it comes to PE&I? Mm, both really good questions. Um, the first one I find fascinating because I think it really highlights some of the work we have left to do. Um, when we recognized that this group was starting to grow into something bigger than a, a one-time event, and we were going to be evolving into an ongoing group um, where we would want potentially some sponsorship or allyship down the road from on a corporate level, we reached out to a number of organizations here in Atlanta, um, carriers, brokers, and some other nonprofits to see if we could simply get them to agree to be allies. Um, we weren't asking for money. We were not asking to use their logos. All we wanted to be able to do was put their name on our website or on LinkedIn as an ally who supports our mission. And our mission is, is very clear and distinct. Um, and, and I think pretty non-controversial. It's essentially that we want to be visible and active in our support to create a more equitable environment in the insurance industry. Um, there were a few responses we got right away that were like, absolutely, we're on board with this. We think what you're doing is great. There were uh, a number of, well, let's see, we have to kind of figure this out and we're not really sure. And, um, and that's just kind of gone on and on and on and on. Um, and then, frankly, there were a few who just said, no, we are not interested in this. Um, we don't want to get involved in anything political. Um, which this is not very distinctly not political. It's a human issue, not a political issue. Um, but that that said to me that there's still a lot of work here to do for people to understand, you know, what's really happening here and, and why a group like ours is so needed. Um, so that's been kind of the reaction from the corporate side. I can tell you on the, the personal side, you know, we've had listening and sharing events and I have heard from so many people who said, this is different than anything I've ever seen um, or ever participated in. I think the fact that we're independent, we're not uh, sponsored by any employer, you know, so people may feel a little more comfortable um, opening up and being vulnerable and discussing their own experiences if they're not sitting in, you know, a meeting room with all of their colleagues, including their managers. Um, so it's been really heartening to hear people so warmly welcome just the safe space that we've provided to, to talk about 
um, challenges and experiences and frankly heartbreaks and, and terrible things that, that some of our colleagues have gone through. Um, so it feels good to be there for that. Um, you know, what's the biggest challenge? Honestly, I think it continues to be helping white people and particularly white men understand the experiences that so many others have lived through and, and, and the difference between systemic racism and being a racist, because they're very different things. And, and I think people can feel um, defensive, understandably, um, about you know, what may be changing and what's the opportunity I lose if I, you know, someone else is getting a second chance or a third chance. Um, and, and that's understandable. It's uncomfortable, and, and we have to acknowledge that. But I think that there are just so many stories of really uh, systemic problems that people don't know because it's not taught in schools. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I bet if you ask 100 people in the insurance industry over the age of 50, if they'd ever heard of the Tulsa massacre five years ago, most of them would say no. Um, I just this morning saw an article um, about a, a story that happened in Greenville, South Carolina in 1918, where um, a lot of uh, black women, mothers and, and wives, whose husbands had enlisted to go fight in World War I, and they were making you know, uh, money from their army salary for the first time, probably making more than they had in the past, and they decided to stop working as housekeepers for the middle-class white people in, in the Greenville area and there were so many complaints from the white women who had lost their cooks and their nannies um, that there was a, a, a city council decision to force these black women to go back to work um, just because the white women were unhappy about it. it it's that kind of um, really ingrained in our culture um, issue that people just don't seem to be aware of. So that's a really long-winded way of saying it's just really opening people's eyes and helping them to understand that it's not personal and it doesn't mean that any one particular person is a racist, but we still exist in a, a system that has a lot of embedded challenges that we all have to work together to overcome. I think that, um, I think you're saying this in so many words, but that the dialogue is a big part of the solution. Uh, you know, when it, it comes to really is. focusing on our industry, but it, it's a universal concept. It is. And, and you hear people say, you know, we have to have uncomfortable conversations. I've heard that, uh, you know, a hundred times. Um, but I've witnessed those uncomfortable conversations <clears throat> with some of the events that we've held. Um, so we have a series of events we call Conversations for Change. Um, and I've been in small groups where um, people have opened up and become really transparent and really vulnerable, um, and I'm talking about white people and black people, in, in a mixed group of people, and they're, and they're willing to do it. And, and that's wonderful to see. It's hard and it's difficult, but people are really making an effort to do that. And I think if we can have those honest conversations um, and really you know, open, be open-minded about what we're hearing, um, that's absolutely the critical first part of all of this. Yeah, I think um, you know many of our member companies have done 
a good job working in this area for a long time and been very deliberate about their approach to it. Uh, many others are just at the very beginning stage of starting to assess, you know, what DNI means to them and what kinds of changes they should make in their organizations and and um, maybe just beginning the conversations you're talking about in terms of uh, uh, understanding. So it's clearly a process, but you know, as we look at maybe the last question on you know on this and the and the coalition because you are a new organization you have a very specific and i think meaningful purpose um, but you're relatively new so maybe you can give us a sense of what you hope to do in the next few years uh, as a uh, an established organization yeah i'd like to see us um really grow membership. So as of now, we don't have uh, formal members. We're, we're working through that legal process and um, hope to have that finished uh, in the next couple of weeks. You know, this is all done by a group of, of dedicated volunteers, but we all have day jobs and families and vacations and things like that. So we're, we're slowly but surely getting there. Um, I'd like to see us grow our membership, you know, ideally to two, 300, 400 members. The Atlanta marketplace is a, a really um, pretty big insurance hub, so I, I think we'll um, we'll find a lot of participation. Um, we are going to look to um, gain some corporate, turn our corporate allies into corporate sponsors, um, and you know we have ideas about. Uh, like I said, recruiting. Um, we all know that the insurance industry is facing um, a, a crisis of young talent. Um, and we've got to find a way to bring young talent into the industry um, as, you know, so many of our, our folks are going to be retiring in the next decade or so. We'd like to take it even beyond recruiting at colleges um, and, and start working maybe with some of the public schools and, and letting people know that there are amazing insurance careers waiting for them. Um, and, and they can be a part of that. So, you know, it's not just about, um, you know, <laughs> going door to door and selling, you know, life insurance, which I think is what some of them sort of have this idea of what insurance can be. But if you, if you like data, if you like statistics, if you like technology, if you're, if you are a salesperson, if you have, you know, any of those skills, um, you, you know, it's a great career to think about and we want to bring those people in and, uh, and let them know. So lots of focus on recruiting young talent. Um, lots of focus on creating, um, you know, just resources for people. So we, I, I'm in touch with a number of people who do, who are you know, much better trained in this than I am, who can, um, you know, help guide companies or individuals with things like, you know, navigating unconscious bias as an employer or as a person of color. You know, how do you, how do you deal with those things? Um, how do you have those discussions for companies that, as you said, are just kind of starting out on this path? You know, they, they need some help and support to be able to find the best ways to do that. Um, talking about holding, you know, some folks accountable to the, the statements that they're making around um, promotion and evaluation and compensation. Um, you know, are you really living up to the statements that you're making uh, about um, supporting folks that may be marginalized. So, you know, it, it's going to reach into a lot of different ways. We're going to have committees set up kind of in, I think, five different areas, and we'll be looking to recruit members to, to help us with each of those areas. And 
Um, if your listening audience is in the Atlanta area, we would love to have them join us. Well, Liz, thanks again for the work you're doing. I know that uh, a statistic that stuck with me is uh, from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, where they estimate that uh, basically half of the current insurance workforce will retire in the next 15 years. And mm -hmm. that you know, retirement cliff will leave almost a half million uh, open positions. That's the opportunity, I think, for our industry. And we know that uh, you know, as we embrace these changes that are taking place and as we fill the jobs that we know will be open over the next you know, decade, decade and a half, uh, we have great opportunities here. And really appreciate your uh, time today and helping uh, lead the way in terms of how diversity fits into that. Uh, through your new organization. So thanks for spending time with us today. Oh, well, thanks, Chuck, for having me. I really appreciate being invited. And just a quick reminder, future interview segments for Unscripted will feature NAMIC's newest president and CEO, Neil Aldridge, who officially took over the leadership of NAMIC on July 1st. And that's a wrap for us on Insurance Uncovered this week. We'll be back again on July 28th with more insurance news and interviews. And as always, if there's a topic you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to reach out to us at uncoveredatnamic.org. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.